Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Option Menu Crew Podcast. This is episode 49. And I'll apologize to everyone in advance of my voice sounds a little off today. I am getting over COVID. So unfortunately, my sinuses were a wreck the last week and I'm kind of clearing things out. Luckily, I'm on the mend and getting better, but uh, apologies if I'm not feeling well. Ed, tell me how you're feeling, man. Uh, I, I think we were just talking about it before the show that I did not sleep well last night. So I guess both of us are kind of not operating it 100%. I was up way too late just doing nothing. I guess that's... I'll blame it on COVID and working from home. It, it, <laughs> it, I, I feel like I never had as bad a sleep schedule as I do now working from home during COVID. I just feel like the, uh, yeah, blame it all on COVID. <laughs> yeah. COVID's the worst. It's super, uh, super not fun and, uh, uh, not to, to get in too much, but it was just ended up being, it, it caught me the worst way is that it, like, I didn't even know I was infected. Um, it was, uh, through, an exposure and that person didn't know that they were exposed either until it was too late. And then I started showing symptoms. Symptoms didn't line up with anything usual. And then once they tested positive, I realized I probably had it. So, um, yeah, you're, it, it, you're one of the last people I know to have gotten it. So maybe you deserve some sort of prize for that dodging it the longest. I know. Right. I feel like unless, and I don't want to say this cause I could still have like a second wave of it in the next couple of days. But I feel like I've been on the mend every day for the last like four days. But you know, hopefully that that stays the course, and I'll just clear up after my full ten days. Um, but yeah, this is uh. So just apologizing ahead of time for the audio quality for listeners. I'll, I'll do my best to keep my voice um, clear. Maybe Ed, you'll have to do more of the talking on this episode. Uh, I guess I can try. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways. Our topic for today is about content creation, basically like influencer culture and all of the new kind of content creation that has come up around the video game industry thanks to the internet. Um, it has definitely accelerated thanks to the lockdowns from COVID over the last couple of years. So that is certainly a, a huge topic. Um, and we're kind of content creators too. This, this whole project that is the podcast is based around trying to put more information out there about video games, talking about video games, because it is a hobby of ours, you know, sharing that enthusiasm with both newcomers and uh, people who have been here for years and listening to a variety of podcasts. So um, part of this project has always been just being topical about, you know, different things that go over. So now we're finally visiting this, and it feels like maybe we should have touched it, but we've touched on this throughout all of our other topics. But now we're now we're really focusing down on it. So the it, it touches on so many different specific things, but the first thing we're going to talk about that I think is like probably one of the net positive elements is curation and discovery for new games. Um, you could also tie that into reviews and previews and information about games. Um, I guess it's all under discovery. But, you know, Ed, what, what's your general feeling now about like, when you go online and seeing all these like non, I, I don't want to say non-professionals because to some extent they are professionals as soon as they start making money off it. But you know, all the new people that are online playing games, doing let's plays, sharing impressions and you know how you've been finding new games from like podcasts and stuff like that. So I guess I'll start by stating where my tendencies lie. Um, I don't usually watch Twitch. I, I think maybe like once or twice I've watched Twitch. So I'm not a part of the whole 
live streaming culture. That's not how I interact with uh, video game content creation. I am more of a YouTube, you know, pre-edited con- content. It may be scripted. It may be, you know, there's, it, it's certainly a different type of content. Um, but, you know, but I will say probably the most of where I hear about uh, games, if we're, t- if we're looking at this from a cr- uh, curation angle, is in podcasts just like ours. Um, and to a lesser degree, YouTube. But I, I think a really important part of uh, that process is finding a content creator with whom you share some common tastes um and i've listened to different podcasts over the years and watched different youtubers some of them click with me some of them don't and that's that's kind of the advantage of the market of user-generated content is there's so much more of an opportunity for you to find people with whom you know you share common interests and common tastes whereas i mean you you think back in the day when you had what do you have? You had video game magazines. It wasn't really much of a personal touch to those. I mean, you had, you know, you had people writing the reviews, but I mean, old video game magazines almost always felt like an ad because I'm sure they were sponsored. You know, I know Game Informer is owned by GameStop. I think it has been for a long time, but with, uh, you know, user generated content, there are some that are, paid ads but usually they're required to state that um and you can also kind of question you know a a a content creator who's way into a series way into a genre they're definitely gonna maybe rate it a little higher than someone who might not have uh such a pre um you know prejudiced view not in a negative way but they they're coming in with a bias but I guess, I guess that's all the, the, the beauty of the whole thing is that you don't have to limit yourself to the opinions of, you know, the few who are lucky enough to be granted a platform because pretty much anyone, as long as you're within the guidelines of the platform you choose, you know, you can have a voice and you can have an audience, which kind of democratizes the whole process of uh, video game criticism and analysis. And I, I, I think it's pretty great. Um, I don't know about you. Yeah, uh, you were mentioning like before, you know, it used to be video game magazines. But that was more like still the professional industry, although some publications were more independent than others. But by nature of the industry at that point, they all had to make deals and they were marketing outlets. Now it's more like the other side, which I was surprised you didn't mention, but maybe this is just a little bit different in our upbringings. Um, <clears throat> the, you know, the kids on the playground or at free recess and at school, you know, your friends and other kids like talking about video games. That was the other way we learned about it. So now content cur- uh, influencer culture is more like everyone in your classroom who was talking about video games now can is reaching hundreds to thousands of people to hundreds of thousands of people um, any day of the week talking about the game they're playing or just playing and showing people what they're playing, telling people their thoughts tweeting about it on social media um, and so on. So it's like all of those people there and some of them, you know, have gotten big and are now their own source there. Uh, So I think that's really cool. And it's definitely 
by getting more people out there, we've got more taste makers, which is what the whole influencer thing is, and not really focusing on the weird commercial part of that that it leads to for the corporate stuff is what I want to bring up is um, more so that it's the, the diversity of taste. So, Ed, can you think of some games that you normally wouldn't have tried that you decided to try because of you heard on it from a, a podcast or one of these other YouTube sources or things like that? Uh, the first one that comes to mind is 13 Sentinels. I know you and I both played yep. that, but I remember I heard them talking about that on Castle Super Beast and mm -hmm. the Giant Bomb cast at the time, and they both had really good things to say about that. I, I had never even heard of the game before. And I, and and what little I read about it was that you, you want to go into it knowing not so much about it. So I just kind of took the plunge. I, I, I think I bought it. I think I bought it full price. So I, I really wanted to play it. But that was one where I kind of just trusted that, you know, the people that I listened to on a regular basis, that their opinion was valid. And that, you know, I trusted that, they aren't going to try to uh, lead me astray. Um, that That's one thing I will say about podcasts that I particularly like is, you know, pe people might feel they have to censor themselves. You, know, you, you always see on YouTube, people have to be a little more friendly for advertisers, but, but you know, they'll have to censor what words they say or what for you. I don't know if you ever watch YouTube videos, but there's, there's a lot of them where people have to like dance around certain issues if they don't want to yeah. get demonetized. But the great thing about podcasts is you can't really get deplatformed in a podcast. I mean, you can host your, it's, it's an RSS feed. You can add any, it's, it's, it's a, uh, you know, which, I mean, you can argue whether or not people are too controversial, but I, I think there's something special about podcasts in which, you know, if you can garner an audience, and you find an advertiser who's okay with your audience, like you can, you can have a platform. You don't need someone to host you. Um, at least not like YouTube or TikTok or all those. Um, I guess that's kind of an aside, but I, I think podcasts, you know, they're, they're the original form of syndicated uh, uh, media on the internet. And I, I think they're, there's something different about them that I think is special in a way. Yeah, podcasting still has a lot of freedom to it, and it's more like YouTube uh, to some extent, Twitch as well. Though Twitch, I don't think, it has as much issue with like squaring and things like that. But you can still get stuff demonetized. I think Twitch's biggest problem is still um, uh, like sound, um, sound related, like music and music copywriting infringement is, I think, is their thing. I don't think they really care so much about swearing. Minor censorship, of course. Like they don't want nudity on there, which completely makes sense. It's not what they're there for. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, you can now independently get funded thanks to like Patreon and other crowdfunding style places. So you can run your business and then use these platforms as your, um, your means of, uh, distribution. And then you can still also do exclusive content through those platforms like Patreon. So there, there is that like side culture because it's like, there is a demand for this. It's entertainment. It's a new part of entertainment that is so easy to get into hard to dominate um you know there's like pewdiepie is a big deal and then i'm not even sure who's the second most popular to to them but we could name off a bunch of youtube channels that we listen to and 
Is PewDiePie yeah. still a big deal? I thought he had like a decline. He's has declined, but he is so far ahead that <laughs> it it's like he it would take a lot. And and you know, we we discuss and complain about this is that people just have like sort of habitual nature. I mean, and I'm not picking on you here, Ed, but you still like are interested in the Simpsons despite the fact that that I I would I say it's overplayed. I don't watch new Simpsons. Don't don't <laughs> smear me with that. I don't watch I I've seen the new episodes and they're bad. I'm I'm interested in like a certain period. And yeah. if if they deleted all the other episodes, I would not complain. I am um, Yeah, I do I do watch a lot of the same stuff that that is it's very comforting to have some level of uh similarity in your life you know you can't control day to day something crazy will always happen and something out of your control but you're right you you can certainly uh uh cozy up and listen to your favorite content as long as it continues to exist so people are creatures of habit and they right. crave um some consistency so uh oh um okay well this is like most subscribe channels all together this is showing me so pewdiepie is number fourth uh, oh wow of all channels of all channels okay well he's he's still pretty high um then yeah that which I is just, i just remember crazy. didn't south park do an episode making fun of pewdiepie like 10 or 12 years ago i feel like he's been a he's been around forever that if he like i think there was one where you know ike uh kyle's younger brother was into pewdiepie and Kyle just didn't get it, but but I mean that's. I feel like South, if South Park makes an episode about you, you're, you've you've got at least some level of fame. All right, so like top gaming influencers here from Influencer Marketing Hub. The uh, Vanos Gaming, Markiplier, Jacksepticeye, Dan TDM, Popular MMOs, W2S, Ali A, H2O, Delirious. The Syndicate Project and Captain Sparkles in that order are number ten. Then one that I actually watch, Game Theorist, is number eleven, which I'm surprised that it's not. Uh, that one's not a little bit higher up, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's uh, I, the ones that have bigger mass appeal. I wonder what they've been, the kind of stuff that they're doing. Oh, I've heard of Markiplier and Jacksepticeye. I don't really have anything. I've heard. I've heard of Markiplier. I don't know anything about him, but I've heard yeah. the name. Yeah, he's a little bit too shouty for my um, for my tastes. I, I guess it is legit, but he does shout a lot, and I, I typically lean away from people who are. <laughs> it, it, it's hard for me to tell whether or not it's it's sincere myself, but like it just most of the videos I've seen him in, he's just way too exuberant. But as far as I know, and, I, and this is no shade to him, like if that's what gets the kids in, and that's what you're using to pay your bills, then hey, like. No, no hate, man. It just kind of sucks that that's what you have to do. I hope your vocal cords don't blow out before uh, you can retire. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, it, it, it's stuff like that. And I, I'm sure there's other people who do good content, but those are like, that's from that list. But that's the thing is, um, you know, I've listened to a bunch of podcasts. 13 Sentinels is one that I probably wouldn't have given a shot otherwise. Uh, Celeste is something. I like, begged you to, I begged you to play that You one, did. Though. So that was like <laughs> that and that. And I heard, and I was kind of, like, I thought it was interesting overall, but I don't think I would have gone... Yeah, it, it was a combination of the two. So you do you get partial credit the, the YouTube port. 
Probably. And now knowing how, what I know from playing it, I still think that that's a better idea because it's just there's there's not much to be gained from playing it. Like, I will argue this. Some people could be entertained by the actual battle portion of it, but that's a that's debatable. That's a taste thing, and I certainly will. I, I am certainly not going... I would not have regretted skipping that. I thought it was okay. I, I liked it well enough, but this is not a review podcast. No, it's not. It's not. Else. But yeah, and we've but, talked about that enough. So the thing is... So are there are there any are there any games that you feel you wouldn't have played had they not been recommended to you on a podcast? Or I think it's other a number content creator. Yeah, I think it's a number of indie games, um, that I I wouldn't have played otherwise. Uh, Celeste being one of them. I heard so much about Celeste, and I was not sure, but just the way I heard people talking about it and getting more information, uh, I've looked into that. And there's a number of other games that are currently wishlisted on my Steam wish list that I, um. Could have played that I wouldn't have played otherwise. There's a couple of things I've done demos for, have, or or haven't tried yet, or wouldn't have looked at. Um, and it's there's been a lot over the years. And considering I've got GameFly now and Game Pass, it's some of this stuff. It's it's hard to remember all of them that I would have played. But I also like purposefully listen to a bunch of different podcasts for their perspectives to try and understand. Like, is is this a type of game I would be into? Should I try it? Should I be? In, should I give it a look? And, um, I think also, uh, no, that, I was going to say Monster Hunter, but I, I've, I've given Monster Hunter a try before and that's like, that's a series I desperately want to like, but it's, it, it in of itself, every time I play it, it's just not quite where I want the controls to be, but I have to try Rise again. It's apparently a really good port on PC. Um, I downloaded it, the demo and played it on my Steam Deck and it's really well optimized. So like even on the Steam Deck, I'm hitting 60 and it feels great. So, um, <clears throat> But yeah, I, I think it's just there. It's also been discovery of just knowing when certain games are coming, when games are coming out, getting details about games, uh, whether or not I should try them. Maybe even some of big AAA games I may have skipped. Like I don't know if I would have actually played like the new God of War if it wasn't for would you, some. Of would the... you have played Elden Ring? Um, I watched Elden Ring really closely, so I I think I was interested. Like I at its core, I'm interested in FromSoft games because they're action RPGs. Um, but I think some of the previews and stuff from podcasts and the way people can talk about them more freely that I, I got more interested in some of them. Some other fighting games I also tried because I, I listened to people talking about it. And I think it's not just discovery so much as it is also just getting to get a lot more information and learning from people. So that's another thing where like learning about the video game industry is so nice and that's part of why we started this podcast is sharing that information and hearing from people who have all these different levels of involvement and have contacts and get this information and being able to just learn more about the industry together has been a huge deal for me as well with, with the podcast and content creation. I, that's probably my favorite thing is learning about the industry through all that content. Um, and I don't know if you have any specific channels or anything, or you've learned any cool new information. I know I share a lot with you, uh, so you can also, if there's anything you've discovered on your own or just stuff that I've shared to you, like, feel free to bring any of that up. But like, did you know gaming? I love that channel on YouTube that they go in depth and all these cool history things about video games. Like I, I, I love that to death. It, it's such a great set of, um, discoveries of, 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 that's a whole other aspect of learning about games. So what about you? Is there been 
fun things you've learned from game content creation? Um, I remember, <laughs> uh, I saw this video. I'm trying to remember the channel name. Bear, bear with me about Roblox mm. and, uh, and, uh, the whole economy behind that and how they like exploit children for the, you know, it, it was, um, and I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the, uh, of the, uh, the channel. Oh, here it is. It's people make games is the channel. And it, they had this video about how Roblox is exploiting young game developers and all about how you can get paid for your Roblox content, but you can only like cash it out for a certain amount. Like basically when you, when you work out all the numbers, you end up the people making Roblox content can only really cash it out for 30% of the value. Cause there's all these like cuts along the way. And if you convert it from robot, like it was really interesting stuff like that is interesting. I'm trying to think what else was, uh, fascinating to me that but that's the one that comes to mind just just those kind of hidden and i i think there was another video about how the market was being manipulated with uh retro games stuff that was interesting both of those just those are two examples i can think of um on youtube and yeah i totally agree there's a lot of I mean, it's almost like independent reporting in a way, you know, people have to do a lot of research and put a lot of effort into scripting and organizing and editing these videos. Like it's, they're, they're doing a service that, um, you know, maybe major outlets might not be doing, you know, I, it's always, um, I feel like, uh, you see Kotaku or Polygon, half of their stories are just them picking up on some like Twitter post or Reddit post or like the, the really interesting details I think are often found out by individuals and in the major, you know, publications will sometimes point to them. But a lot of these really unique stories uh, seem to be broken by individuals and not, you know, straight from a major website. Yeah, that's that's the other part of the content creation is that these people who can speak out on behalf of people inside the industry, think of all of the news lately about like sexual harassment allegations and things and broadening that information, um, the, the, the rights and the workers, the unionization, uh, the conditions for developers and stuff, um, you know, uh, all that stuff coming out, the insides, think about when um, Epic when Epic tried to do its lawsuits against Apple with Fortnite and all the information that came out and some of that and all that information being disseminated and echoed throughout the sphere. So like a lot of big marketing outlets like or big advertisers and sites like Giant Bomb and so on, like all those video game, big video game websites picked it up too. And then they used podcasting and stuff to talk about it. And they're now less connected because they can more directly monetize without being attached. They still want to have some deals, of course, but they don't need to as much. But then also this news echoes throughout these big influencers and all the new people that are creating their content, uh, that are content creators. And we get this like ripple effect in the culture of gaming that helps advocate and make these movements for these positive changes. 
on top of so not only uh, uh for the health of the industry on in regards of like conditions for workers and and what's really going on and also like free-to-play culture the gotcha games how those are working how they're exploiting people and trying to make money and like how companies you know, all the you know investor reports and stuff and how that makes it out there then for me personally like the the for the fighting game community how it, it's been rippling and echoing all the information to get rollback netcode into fighting games or uh, Japanese specific fighting games and how that has just been a quality of life feature that has not as tangibly improved not only players lives but the bottom lines for developers who are struggling to get their games to be like relevant and now it's like it's huge groundswell you announce it and people some and old games get it and suddenly people that rediscover them come back show that you can have a long tail that you can build the fan base up even further. Uh, and then um, we were talking about like, inf so other information there. Um, what was the other part I wanted to bring up? Um, well, I, I thought it was funny you mentioned free to play games because yeah. I just remember, remember like Genshin, you had streamers that were spending like thousands of dollars in a stream just on wishes. And you had, you know, then they did that with Diablo Immortal. Just, I, I wonder if that does more harm than good because it is giving those games kind of a, a spotlight, even if it's bad. But I mean, you can certainly see in those that how bad the monetization is with it without having to spend your own money. You can watch someone else do it, do it for you. Oh, the whole only no press is bad press. Yeah. I, 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 find it entertaining that people will spend you know seven thousand dollars on genshin in a stream but i wonder if it's good or bad uh, you know at least you can see how bad it is but then then you might see people oh they got all these cool pulls and maybe it has the opposite in, of the intended effect i don't know that that's something that could use more um looking into i can tell like some of the positive things you just reminded me based on the genshin thing was when ea messed up royally with battle star wars battlefront 2 the uh the the, the new version of battlefront 2 that came out uh, a couple years ago and people were like you turned this thing into a mic microtransaction pay to win hellscape and it's and it ended up having a huge backlash the initial sales were terrible disney ended up reaching out to them and being like you messed up fix it and ea had to like de-scumify the uh, the game and it ended up not ended up being uh as bad as it was it's still a pretty decent game but forever it was tarnished uh i still think it reached like over 14 million sales way back when and eventually i think it surpassed like 20 but it, it it definitely made a change for the good and we've seen that for some other games too where like single player games try to get monetized in in crappy ways and there's a huge fan backlash and it's like you can't do this um there's also been uh and, and we you know we're touching on tons of episode topics as well so listeners go ahead and go back and listen to some of those things that we talked about as we hit hit on all of them and but content creation once again echoing and creating this force for change such as all the accessibility settings like there are content creators out there talking about and reaching out to and there's also content creators who have accessibility who need accessibility features in order to play it they're disabled gamers and they need to be uh they they need the or they should be listened to excuse me they deserve to be heard they deserve these games deserve to be evolved the tools deserve to be there in order to make games more accessible to more people because people can play them um and it's not even like difficulty settings as we've discussed before it's just like text size 
it doesn't even matter. Like, I don't really wear glass. I don't wear glasses. Ed, you wear glasses. But yeah, unfortunately. Pe- but people have all glasses. <laughs> yeah, people have all sorts of different, you know, seeing issues, and there's no reason you can't put in some of that stuff. And if you just started doing it, and then it was built into engines, and then it, it wouldn't be an issue, and it, they could have all these sets, and so many more people would be comfortable buying these things. So that's another thing. Like, I, don't, I don't know if you saw there any early reviews of The Last of Us Part 1, but apparently it just has an inordinate amount of accessibility toggles and you can change all these settings and you know, they, they outdid themselves once again. Yeah. So that I, I, I think you're right though, as people start to care about that, that does drive demand and uh, you know, put some pressure on developers to cater to that audience. I mean, yeah. they don't want to, they certainly don't want bad publicity of people saying, Oh, your game is terrible. You can't even change the tech size. I mean, some developers don't care, but some do. Yeah, and some developers or publishers, I should say, won't care about the bad press and they'll push through. Um, it hasn't played out yet, but like Blizzard is obviously you talked a little bit about it with Diablo 4, but I want to I would talk about it more from about Overwatch 2 and how that's just been a fiat ongoing fiasco for them because they just they want to <clears throat> They want to be this weird money churning. They want to turn these products into money churning things instead of like making good games and then incentivizing people for playing them. Uh, Overwatch 2 will go free to play. And I don't I don't necessarily prescribe to a game gets a free pass on everything just because it's free. I don't think just because you're free, you're allowed to exploit uh, complete, uh, completely exploit. I don't believe in infinite transaction, infinite profit schemes of any sort. Um, or at least I haven't seen one in gaming. I, I just, I don't understand. I don't believe in, um, you should be able to infinitely generate money off of people for a product. There should be a natural endpoint for it and you should have to innovate and create a new product or create new content. There should be some sort of stipulation on that. Um, because it, it resulted in a lot of gambling for kids and we're still seeing it here. They're just kind of changing the way they make, they let people gamble. Um, and we, we keep talking about Genshin, but it is something we're both really familiar with um, in terms of like, it, it, like it's you, you pay for these packs. You don't know when you're getting weapons or characters and the characters can get buffed. And sometimes you can only get new characters from the loot boxes and things like that. Um, and you can hit these natural walls where like if you don't pay, you can't go forward, which the whole point of that is. If, well, if you want us to pay up to a certain point, release content packs, man. Like, it's not a difficult concept, but instead, they would rather have recurring transactions instead of singular transactions that have a stopping point because of a profit obsession that ultimately is self-defeating. Um, <clears throat> but anyways, but, but what the streamer calls are like, this, some of this uh, these issues get raised and echoed and people raise awareness. I want to talk about some of the other good parts too with this is just like the accessibility is that democratization of tools and of knowledge. So that way people can, we get new indie talent coming in. We get new gamers uh, learning how to develop games and learning how to use tools, um, how things work. And we'll get a whole new generation of developers that rise up and will, and, and hopefully other industry vets and, you know, future industry vets, 
who will change these things and will go into positions of power that will be able to make things better and bring back more of the art to it and not make it so incredibly profit driven. Um, I, I, and, and I'll say it just for the sake of the conversation is like, I'm not saying people aren't allowed to make money. I'm just saying there's like, they don't need to make all the money. And if you listen to other podcasts, like we've, we, we've heard about it from other people too. It's the, it's the problem that these companies want to make all the money and not just like some and don't diversify. But these conversations get echoed through content creation and hopefully it, it's been a good fight showing like, hey, you don't have to have, um, you know, these crazy monetization schemes in order to have a super successful product. Like Minecraft made a ton of money being only $15 and just being in development perpetually. Like new people just kept buying it. And it was probably something that was easy to pirate too. Um, but people kept buying it. People kept finding it at and paying like 15 to 20 bucks as that game came out and was being worked on and just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And people will just buy content. Like you, just, but the companies don't want to make the, don't want to have to keep making content. They would rather just like, give you a roulette set of stuff that you they don't have to because then it's less effort because it's more profit and that's well i mean they make some new content it just might not be the content that you can like they make new characters and new like ultimately they're gonna have to make more stuff for you to roll for and more levels and stuff but maybe um maybe it's not enough for what they're making i don't know it's not like gotcha games don't stay the same for five years and shut down but it could, oh i'm yeah, just I saying guess, i'm just yeah. saying they try to make the new if they try to make content they always want to make it as cheap as possible for the biggest margin it's just like how a lot of mobile gotcha games like they make a jpeg an artist draws things <laughs> once and might get animated for a couple motions but then they'll uh like in genshin it's the same character but they want you to pull that same character card five times in order to level it up to its maximum potential so you have oh, to keep paying yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 kind of scheme is what I was getting at. You know, I see. It's yeah. it's low effort, maximum profit, and it's not. Well, there's always there's in every medium there's always gonna be the the giant properties that are profitable that maybe they're not, you know, that they put out for an easy. But I I will I do think that gaming does have a very healthy indie culture. Um, yes, but. But as you said, in terms of discoverability, like you almost have to get some sort of presence on, I guess, YouTube and Twitch. I was going to say social media, but YouTube and Twitch are social media. And, you know, you, I almost have to have some sort of, uh, eh, kind of. But you almost have to have some sort of presence and people interested in your game because no one's going to find out about it. You know, I wonder how many games there are on Twitch, or uh, I'm not Twitch, I'm Steam that have like 10 sales i mean there's got to be hundreds of games that have maybe haven't gotten any sales like i i, I think it's a tough market oh indeed but, like the market is tough and there is an oversaturation issue but i think that that's what's helping elevate it and, and that's that's a thing so i don't um i don't decry and that's a whole other topic i don't think we ever really touched on directly with curation it just kind of filters into the conversation um but in terms of things, uh, oh, one thing I wanted to talk about, I, I think I'm doing like a hard segue here, but this is an ongoing issue and there's a lot of issues that go on with content creation and it is the battle between independent creators and the official marketing channels of 
you know, the big publishers and, and developers. So like for indies, it's pretty simple. Like they can, you know, work with people and get deals. Um, and there's usually, you know, indies are usually not so much worried. Of course, no one wants negative feedback, but other people are like, but there are developers who want the honest feedback. Cause they're like, Oh, I want to make my game better. I want to hear this. And you, you can see that. Um, like a good example is like, uh, Supermassive Games, they did Hades, right? Supergiant. Supergiant, excuse me. Supergiant did uh, Hades. And so while, unfortunately, they released it exclusively on Epic for a year, their process of, like, this is a an active beta where, where the game's out there, people are playing a small portion of it, we're releasing periodic updates, we're taking in feedback, actively developing it, and that kind of... Um, the high high visibility of player feedback because people are content creators. They're putting out videos. They're like, I'm playing build 1.023 of uh of Hades today. You know, like that stuff. And it's easier for developers now to even get feedback on their games. Um, but what we see on the dark side is uh people getting paid for sponsorships, which that's necessarily a terrible thing. But so I guess that's that's not the point. It's how the big publishers are now struggling with their messaging and trying to control all these new independent media outlets. Um, or I, we say outlets, but the content creators and the influencers because they can say whatever they want. And these in these big corpo giants, what they want is control because they don't want any negative press. Now it's, it's basically a futile effort on their part to try and, control the message because the message i believe kind of sorts itself out like that's that's kind of the truth of it if news is good if a game's good information gets out there about it and it's it's more often than not that like if something's really good people are going to hear about it and it's going to get good press but if the uh but when things are bad it's like you started that issue like they didn't make it bad it's very rare, I think, that something gets, uh, some little un unfortunate bad thing gets blown out of proportion. Every once in a while it does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. Um, I think the whole Last of Us Part Two, like, leaks got blown out of proportion. And I think that did significantly hurt the game. Now, granted, AAA game, so minimum sympathy for it. But I think a lot of people... I think the online buzz about what happened there was way too harsh, in my personal opinion. I think the game is actually really great. It did some things that were challenging. I do understand that it didn't do a lot, didn't do a bunch of things narrative-wise that people liked, but I think it came down to taste, not to like PC culture and stuff like that. Like, it wasn't an offensive game for the wrong reasons. Um. I, I have no idea. I know nothing yeah. about Last of Us Part Two. I've uh, somehow I I think I might know like what what some character dies or something. But uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I'm not. I, yeah, but I don't know why people were upset. I, I think we're past I, the statute of limitations, but I'll 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 keep it a little vaguer just for the sake of yeah, for you, our listeners. You, you can you can inform me. Minor spoilers. A major character from the first game dies right away at the beginning of the second game. That's when, what I heard. I heard that one. The media kind of led people to believe, and it pulled the trick that like, hey, this um, uh, it seemed like this character was going to last in there, but it was just trying to hide the surprise. Now I'm uh. I'm personally not a fan of disingenuous marketing. 
you can do good marketing without like editing out stuff or changing. And I'm a bit hypocritical because I think it's neat when Marvel kind of edits trailers or shows scenes that aren't quite real. I think there's a there's a fine line between like lying to people um and like de deceptive marketing and all and uh clever marketing. So like I don't think they needed to do what they did to to fake people out that way. I think it could have been like you just don't show that character not being in so many issue in so many scenes and then scenes where the character is that are interspersed in the game like let that be the mystery like where does this come from and people will be guessing like let the official material speak for itself you don't have to edit it as much um or just don't show that much you don't need to spoil too much to talk to really talk about the game your game should be fun from the start and indicative of itself from beginning to end that's that's another like part of discussion that has come out you know over time is like you know vertical slices don't shouldn't be deceptive they should be representative of what's going on throughout the, the entire game um, and then for me personally, like I'm not going to harp harsh on this for too much, but like final fantasy seven, uh, remake coming out and that's it's, what I was thinking yeah, you were going to say <laughs> their marketing scheme, not unfortunately backfiring. Uh, I guess, you know, final fantasy seven remake, which is actually a sequel to final fantasy seven, full disclosure to people, um, who haven't been aware of it yet. It, it's not, it, it's a timeline, uh, storyline it's a timeline revisit storyline thing um it's like I, like like the uh rebuild of evangelion yes yes but a little less a little more deliberately deceptive i think evangelion's hard to follow in general whereas like that's true this was that and then it was kind of uh but then for well i don't know the, you saw the the first rebuild movie was pretty closely fall in the original series. So if For the you most only part. saw that back in the day, I think you could have been fooled as to what direction it was going. They didn't go off the yeah. rails until the second movie. What what changes and things that they really did were were interesting, but you could excuse it as just a reimagining. Um yeah. and it was, but for different reasons and it was and it becomes more of a meta commentary and that's kind of their point. Like that is a very meta thing. Final Fantasy 7 is not meant to be very not well, okay. Final Fantasy VII original has a lot of meta commentary, but it's like a good narrative piece. It's it's not meta meta for meta's sake, and remake is meta for meta's sake. Um, but I wonder if like Seven Part Two, uh, Rebirth is going to, um, if it's going to have less sales because now that people know a it's going to be three parts and b that it's not that the information's going to get out there that's not really a remake. It is a sequel if that's going to affect sales and if a lot of people who initially bought the first part who now know that remake is not a remake it's just a sequel that was deceptively marketed if that's going to affect it long term so it'll be interesting i'm really looking forward to seeing what that discourse ends up being like because square ruined my initial impression like if they just would have been like hey we are doing a sequel i would have been cautiously optimistic about based on how they handled production of 15, 13, Kingdom Hearts 3, and everything of, like, their writing choices are not always the greatest, but I would have at least been like, oh, it's a good game? It seems all right? They changed some stuff, and I just have to figure out whether or not I like the taste? Okay, I'm in. But now it's like, oh, I wanted this product. This is not the product I wanted, and it's not going to be. I don't want to support being lied to about 
in order to get me to buy a product. So I'm, you know, I'm holding well, off. Speaking from the other side of the, yeah, yeah. the table, as someone who does not hold Final Fantasy VII near and dear, who did not play it back when it was released, I did like Final Fantasy VII Remake. The 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 messing around with the timeline, some of the devices, the devices that you, they used to do that were a little silly. But I I'm in for the re, I'm in for rebirth. I I certainly would like to see the actual numbers of people who liked it versus didn't. I mean, it was pretty well received, and I it seemed like it seemed like I I I I have an inkling that maybe you're like one of the minority curmudgeons who was like totally against the idea being lied to. And I I think my my feeling based on absolutely nothing, obviously, is that there's a lot of people who maybe it wasn't what they expected, but they they want to see more. Um, yeah, yeah, and I have other thoughts, but I don't want to go it's on that. Certainly, you're, it's certainly your your right to make your own decision. That's R the right, right of every right. consumer. And I and and it's more I want to tie it back into the 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 whole topic of the episode, which is that you know this discourse gets out there and this and how that media echoes and what it could be and seeing how this plays out is really good. Um, and it's and it depends on how that discourse goes. So like, it, there's been a lot of media mm -hmm. afterwards about that, but then for other games, um. You know, I was trying to think. I had other examples going on. Um, you know, there's all the talk about for piracy, emulation, the subscription services, and talking about you know how where the things are good, where the things are bad, um, where it's significantly impacted stuff. We can even go way back when to the, like early social media, like the Mass Effect Three ending travesty that like helped get a big patch pushed out to fix the Mass Effect Three ending, um, which has become a little bit more relevant considering that you know the mass effect legendary collection came out not too long ago um or how older games get revisited and brought back uh there's all the crowdfunding and whatnot and people talking about those campaigns and getting those things pushed oh yeah there's like there's some games um i think i wouldn't be crowdfunding um proto droid delta i believe is the one is the game that's the Mega Man x spiritual uh inspired game that i'm crowdfunding right now uh really looking forward to let me double check here yes protodroid delta uh so that's an indie project i'm super happy about and i wouldn't have known about it had i not heard about it on a podcast so that's that's something there that thanks to content creation i was i was made aware of and decided to to purchase or uh, to invest in um it's a glorified oh yeah invest <laughs> yeah investment basically yeah <laughs> Uh, so yeah. do we this is kind of uh, related to publishers controlling the, the message but are there many publishers left who actually care if you stream your game I, I think the only ones I can think of off the top of my head are Atlas they always come out with about uh, with a Japanese developers are weird yeah I feel like it's just like Atlas and Nintendo though I don't think Capcom you know Sega's already open to like uh fan games and stuff i don't think sega care i think it's just atlas that cares I, I are there any others that that are really egregious i mean i think atlas is probably the worst right now but nintendo still has their their moments um i think it's like hit or miss on games because there's a lot of games that do like weird dmca stuff um and that's like a huge issue but that's that's also mixing in the movie industry which i think is also part of uh did i, did I say movies or music i'm sorry um music industry just to be clear um, when you mix in those other places like that too, makes things really tough. 
because everyone's so worried about piracy, but they're they it it's dumb. Honestly, it is dumb. Um, so I I I don't I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head that has really bad messaging issues, uh, or really fights back against blocking certain things. It's more like when stuff gets leaked that like you know these companies crack down quickly on like leaks like when multiverse's character select screen and the the stuff uh the early information leaked and they cracked down on videos that had the screenshots and stuff you know they'll do cover-ups like that um but that they all still suck about music though music is almost like the biggest problem when it comes to copyright claims yeah and i think that and that's Did, a didn't didn't square enix put up a bunch of soundtracks from their their games on youtube and people were just like oh that's just a trap so they can claim the ad revenue there or did i just imagine people, that no people said that about that but also they put them up on spotify too oh spotify too okay so like and that's that's different and i think that's different because sure like if you're going to make your original stuff um available on these platforms then sure i understand like you not wanting people to redistribute it unless like it's if it's free that it just don't want ad revenue. So you typically you can put stuff up. Like I've made music videos and I use licensed music or I've used other people's music and I try to give them credit and I don't monetize it all. Like none of my stuff is monetized. It's only when the monetization really comes into play that like some stuff can be there. And I've, I've had a few videos like claimed every once in a while. Japanese music can get really tricky because Japanese mu music laws are even worse than American music laws. Um, but yeah, like video content and things like that, it can be really tricky. Uh, it, it's more about if it's monetized. If it's not monetized, then it's basically free advertising, so they don't care as much. Um, and that's kind of the thing I guess I wanted to talk about, because I think there's a lot of debate there of like, where should the relationships begin and end in, tor in, in terms of the monetization? Because also, we don't get to see all the deals, and we've certainly never done an ad sponsorship deal. Um, and I don't think without like the right partner would we ever do that uh, if we were to try and get monetized. But you know, where, wh how many, how many, what kind of terms do you think that like should the develop the publishers be able to publishers and developers be able to dictate if they're paying someone to cover their game? Like what, what do you think is fair? We'll start there. It is a bigger question. If they're paying someone to cover their game. Mm-hmm. Or do you think that they shouldn't? Like, do you think it should be the other way? Like, they don't have to pay anyone for, like, talking about their game. And, in fact, it should be the opposite. Like, companies should have to take a step back and be like, no, no, no. Unless people are literally sharing false information about your game, then you, can't, then you shouldn't be striking down videos. You can't, like, just because someone says something bad about your game or isn't covering your game or isn't talking about your game, like, you can't, you shouldn't build those relationships with them. It's just free marketing if it happens. Are companies doing that, though? Because I, I remember on YouTube, there was one particular content creator who was going around, like, striking people because they were saying stuff. Like, that happens. But, like, is Nintendo going and, you know, obsessing over someone saying ne something negative about Breath of the Wild and, like, claiming all their videos? Like, I don't think that happens, does it? I mean, like, sponsored streams and stuff like that. Not oh, necessarily when they're just not like, malicious. Not like claiming so claiming their or striking their video just to silence criticism okay right and that can happen and like independent people can get very desperate there are like really crappy people um 
that that'll be that'll try to do that stuff I, I think a lot of the big corporations don't it's not worth it there's not money to like for it and they can also just offer people uh money to like talk positively but what do you think about that do you think they should really have those kind of stipulations like wh what's your thought with like sponsored streams and yeah i mean yeah if, if they're paying you to play a game as an advertisement i they can tell you how to represent it i mean as as long as you're being clear and i think on youtube at least you have to you know state something is sponsored like you it's pretty upfront that something is a sponsored video um then yeah i don't see a problem with the publisher telling you you know what talking points to make what things to focus on um you know, why would you pay someone to advertise your game if they were just going to trash it I, I, that that's just at that point, a sponsored stream, it's just an ad. Like, there's no, there's nothing else about it. It's just an advertisement. Um, well, that's the thing, though. Yeah. I think that the if you're pay, if paying someone to play it because they're audience, you should get their... Uh, it speaks back to, like, that curation thing. You're, like, you're looking for people who have a certain taste. So if you're paying someone who, like, normally doesn't like a game, but you're like, hey, try it, see it, because we're trying to see if we can, if we can breach that audience... Mm -hmm. With this installment of a game just like with uh, let's say for me if i was a a streamer trying to you know monetize and i was like i'm not a huge FromSoft fan elden ring is you know i, I like i beat sekiro but like i quit all the other games because they're just too hard and they're like we really think elden ring's different and they wanted to pay me and i was just like i'm playing it but i'm like you know, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like that, but, like, they, you know, look at my stream and say, well, you know what, you you had a lot of criticism of our game, so we're gonna, like, cut the pay in half, you know, like, I don't think that's well, they, fair. I don't, I don't think they can do that, you agree on a payment, unless, unless it's, like, I don't know, I, I guess I, I'm just talking out my, out my ass, because, like, I, uh, don't, I don't know, I've never had a, uh, contract to play a game for a company so me but i i imagine they're pretty specific about what they want you know i've listened to podcasts where they're talking about their yeah. ad read and all, how they have to hit certain points oh, I, of course. I think if someone's i think if someone's paying for you to advertise a game they're gonna want to be as specific as possible um you know they're probably gonna allow some slip-ups like it's it's live it's live content you, yeah. you're trying to be candid as well but i think they're gonna be pretty clear on what they expect Right, but do you think it's even fair for them to ask that, or do you think it should be like they can ask for whatever they want, and it's up to the streamer whether or not they want to agree to those terms? Like, do you have a feeling yeah. of one way, the other, or somewhere in between? I don't feel either way. I feel like a company can come to you, and if they present terms that you don't like, you don't have to agree with it. Read well, then them. you do feel one way. So, okay, that answers the question, though, which which is fine. I was asking oh. for your opinion. Um, yeah. I don't think that they should be allowed to demand you say positive things about it. I think that if you want to say nothing about it and just play the game, I think that's also fine. I, but I do, you know, it does come up to the streamers to be like, you have to, do, you have to be willing to say no, but not every streamer is in that situation, which is a problem as well. Um, but it, you can, everyone can't be in the same boat. Like there has to be people who are more successful and there's our people who are not and has to be, it should be based on, you know, talent presentation and good, it, good content presentation etc and so on um providing i think good the people i think the people who kind of sell out and well and are you know their opinions for hot or their opinion is for sale are 
probably not going to be as successful as people who are genuine. Yeah, like so, people who like, do ads for braid battle dungeons. You know what I'm rhyming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, those don't actually say it. We're not plugging them. We're we're that got, it's got to be something that rhymes because everyone knows no, what I'm just saying. Those those ones. Hey, Mato Pigeons sounds like you, they know what that those rhymes ones. With. You know they sold out. Oh, I mean, yeah. those are those are almost hard to take. But those are ads. They're not actually playing the game. Are, are other people playing that game on stream? I'm sure there are people playing I, that I've, game on I've stream. I've seen those. I've seen ads and and some YouTube videos that I watch. But you, you can almost like feel the look on their face like oh god i feel like they're already advertising i don't know who gets the best checks from them so maybe there's some of them that really love those checks and i i don't if you're trying to make ends meet i can get that it doesn't speak well to your integrity but if you try if you're doing your best to move away from it that's fine um i've seen i've seen it in this one fitness youtuber i watch this this guy with big muscles and tats is not playing that game on his phone like that. <laughs> yeah right well you don't know you don't know actually but it, i i i'm pretty sure i bet he's being paid to play it on his phone sometimes uh or he's at least talking about it so whatever yeah it that's funny though um but yeah that there's stuff like that where i don't know if that's even good but they you know celebrity endorsement stuff's been there for a while i think that's one of those things where we should regulate and be like if you like no, if you are not into the product, I, like, I think I think yeah. in theory with celebrity endorsements, they're supposed to have used the product and to some degree think it's a good product. Like, yeah, in you'd theory, hope that. that that's I think that is regulated. Whether or not people are actually following that is yeah. is another thing. But I yeah. believe that is part of the idea of a paid endorsement. Yeah. You know, you're paid to give your opinion, but the opinion is supposed to be true. Yeah. That's one of those things where it's like it's it's really hard to regulate that, but there's some other stuff that might be like contract terms, like being able to de- mandate something positive is said. Yeah, um, mandating you know the nature of the the content, uh, other than like certain details you shouldn't talk about or certain information you're given about it in order to help like smooth out the experience. Like when there's embargoed information, like please don't go to this area, please don't go to this area, or if you th- you might encounter this bug, but please don't talk about this bug. Um, yeah. In, in any explicit detail, if you want to warn people that, hey, I have to stay away from here because of a bug, like, that's fine. You know, th- those kind of things. That's, I think that's fine. But being like, you, we, we'd like you to at least have two comments every hour, if that'd be cool. Um, something like that. I Like, no. Or two, you know, how do, positive. How do you feel about content creators who are given review copies of games? Ooh, good, uh, good question. Because I, I, I mean, I know that's, that was pretty common for magazines and websites. It was necessary. On, probably. It was necessary, and and they still do that for big websites like IGN, but I feel like IGN at least has the clout to where if they give a bad score, what are you going to do? Not not let IGN review your game? Yeah, like IGN is is going to get that review copy whether or not they gave your last game a good score. Whereas like with a small YouTuber. I don't know if they have a lot of leverage in that situation to where they might feel the pressure to maybe review it a little better than they would have had they paid for that copy themselves. Um, not, not saying it's malicious or anything, but, but I think it's hard to really be entirely honest when, you know, maybe this is your first review copy and it could be your last. Yeah. Um, I think that the, it's thanks to the independent funding efforts and crowdfunding efforts, like through Patreon and things that like, 
IGN can now fund itself through like subscriptions to its website with exclusive content that they can create through like videos, newsletters. Does IGN have a subscription? Uh, I'm pretty sure they do. I haven't been to IGN in years. I'm pretty sure they do have something like that. Plus like, um, you know, special user features, things like that. We'd have to look into it, but I'm pretty sure I know like giant bomb does it. And that's the one I'm usually thinking of. Um, yeah, I think GameSpot had some stuff there. If GameSpot's still around. So those kind of things. Yeah. Like they have the means now to do uh, independent funding so they can have more leverage. And that's where like these YouTubers and things also have more leverage because they're not, YouTubers can also have advertising from YouTube's monetization. They can do Patreon and they can do other ad supported things that aren't necessarily tied directly to video games. Like, you know, how, how, I don't know about you, but it seems like Blue Chew has gotten in on the gamer podcast stuff now. So they're they're <laughs> yeah. talking about. And I'll feel bad about plugging them because everyone's heard of Viagra at this point, and Blue Chew is just a new form of yeah, just the a bunch new brand. of impotent, impotent gamers. Yeah, you know, right. all gamers are impotent. Yeah, or like uh, you know, any d- perspirant deodorant manscaping. I'll, I'll plug any of these guys. That, that's fine. They're that, they're fair. Um, I haven't used any of their products, so I can't vouch for them. But you know, you've heard of them. Uh, yeah, I have, I have. So that that kind of stuff, like there or any of the food delivery places, like they were all over so many of the different um, food delivery and food, uh, food. Yeah, not like, like I meant like Grubhub as well as like HelloFresh and stuff that actually brought food that were food, pr- pr- uh, few. I, I want to say food curation. But, you know, the ones that actually had food that they produced and sent to you, as well as people who would go pick up food for you from establishments. You know, they're all over I the mean, place I, in advertisement. I don't think those those kind of advertisements can be bad. I, one, one of my favorite... No, no, I wasn't arguing podcasts. whether or not they were good or bad. Oh, yeah. I was saying but, the, all these other advertisers are now in providing funds for these companies, for, oh, yeah. for these independent creators. So that way they can have their own funds. So if a company was like, well, you said something a little. Dark. You gave us less than an eight last time. IGN or other, you were like, I don't have to take your game. I can go talk about all these other games, and I have enough money, and you will not affect my bottom line. So that's, or you will not, you will make a very insignificant effect to my bottom line by me not talking about your game. Just like and it, you know, and you may you may hurt the publisher's bottom line by not having their game featured on IGN. Yeah, I mean, these are big. Exactly. These are big websites. Right. And they can also talk about, like, you know, they're denying us review copies. It came out when, uh, and it works both ways. Like, with um, Bethesda was being weird about sending out copies. Like, uh, I think it was one of the Dooms. I forget if it was Doom, the the new Doom or Doom Eternal that they, like, didn't send out copies. It was new Doom. They didn't send out copies, and they were saying their policies changed. But, like, new Doom was amazing. So, like, okay, it, this, this strategy works. And then I forget, I want to say it's, like, Fallout 76. Or something like that where they didn't like send out preview copies or and the game was awful so i mean that's indicative more of like you don't have to send out review copies you can send them after or you can you don't have to send them until release and you just have to give people but the there's like a market issue there because people want that information before they're about to make the purchase which also speaks to and i say there's there's some consumer responsibility that needs to be taken into account the consumer is not 100% responsible because even though they should they should express more agency but I can understand getting caught up in the excitement and wanting to like I want to get this product right away but this has led to you know it's a vicious cycle of like who's in control of what and I think people need to that, that's part of why we've gotten in some of these bad situations is where people need to like not 
our our country and I think something in the world has some mental health issues that we need to address, and that's you know we're being exploited to some extent in the in our economies for that. So people are not good at delayed gratification. No, just can't no. wait. And our and our thanks to the internet, like that has only been perpetuated to some extent for some people for a lot of people. So um, it would be nicer. Uh, but then the other part is these the game developers and publishers have control over the quality of their game. They could delay them longer and uh, push out their schedules further and actually have the quality so they could put out a better product. Now I get it. Games are getting big. Games can get bigger and they are more expensive to make and it, they've got a lot more hands in there. But we've also seen like you can have smaller games do really, really well and be really, really polished or uh, even early access. This makes a counter argument actually. Early access games can be super buggy and people will love it but because it's an early access people like jump onto it and that's another thing like streamer cultures really taking advantage of games because um they can put out a game that's you know unfinished it's cheap you can jump in and then you have fun with it for a bit and you might drop it and put it never pick it back up when it's finished but um people are having fun with games that are unfinished it's the difference is that it that's being treated as an excuse for like the bigger games that they're like, well, people don't care about this, so we can put out a game that's $60 and it can be like mostly broken and they'll still have fun with it. And yeah, EA and Ubisoft or any other big company has no excuse putting out an early access game. Some and certain types of games are naturally going to have bugs. Like Elden Ring and other open world style games are are just those mechanisms are so big it it only makes sense that they're going to be jank in a lot of ways and it's and it's a miracle that those games are even running and i trust that from people i believe are being sincere and actually like have the same criticisms but understand certain bugs are not acceptable there's like if your save file is getting corrupted there there should be that should be addressed immediately and that should be something that's not allowed to slip through um, now, some things are really hard to gauge and what will actually trigger that. So I, I get that to some extent, but those are things like that are probably a lot of issues because we've known from other podcasts for people who have been former testers. It's like, this is a big deal and they should, and some of these are like known shippables or whatnot and they get, they get let through. There's certain things that should be found out and some that maybe they do slip through. I don't know. I'd love to know more about that. I'd love to know how complicated a save uh, feature is or how how difficult it is to include save features in the games like you know save anywhere versus creating save states versus adding checkpoints and the combination of two auto saves versus quick saves and all that stuff and how didn't, tricky that didn't is. take um what was the house mark like six months to add a save feature to returnal like i i think if you don't like it took them a long time to add that save in the middle of the run so I don't think it's trivial to to save everything. Um depends, but yes. Like if you if they weren't going to use it at all, but that was that was a philosophical debate because they made a roguelike game. So, part of the whole difficulty scaling was we don't it's supposed to be these runs. Like saving in the middle is almost counterintuitive to the point, which I get. That's a that's a decent argument. I think it matters as a quality of life thing because I think they also had to look at the entire balance of their game. Like, how much of this can we fix and how much can we adjust 
that might make this better. And so they made some other, you know, gameplay balance changes, quality of life tweaks. And I think like part of the reason it took so long is that they made a bunch of changes, not just the one. And then they had to go back, relook at their system, integrate it, bug test it, and then also do like certification process, which adds extra time and is an additional cost. It's not like on Steam where people can just upload patches whenever they want. I'm pretty sure they, uh, uh, to my understanding, Steam doesn't charge extra fees for patches. But you think Sony charges their own developer extra fees for certification? Weren't they a first-party developer at that point? Have to double-check that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that comes out of the budget, if that's a budget consideration. I guess one place is the cost center, one place is the profit center. I don't know. Businesses are weird. Businesses are weird, but that'd be funny if Naughty Dog gets charged every single time. But I bet it gives, goes into like a thought that is probably a thought like for every time Naughty Dog wants to patch The Last of Us or something like that. But I don't know. Maybe maybe that is different. Um, but for third party studios, like even if it wasn't that, like it it still applies because if Housemark was not first, Housemark I don't believe was first party at that time. It was after Returnal came out. We'd have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that. It was later that they were announced as first party. Because like Returnal success was part of like proving that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were like, yeah, big news. Like it is part of it. And then they did the huge expansion. That was probably another thing too, because think about it, like content doesn't usually happen in bursts. There's long-term plans. So the big Returnal update that they did later with the additional content, not just the, the save feature, was probably also in development, so they were probably looking at how much they could roll into and te- bug test, and how much they could they should put into their build, and separating things out. And sometimes they leave information in. So like, that's all. So remind me, where did we get here from content creation? We were talking <laughs> about like the bug testing process and people talking about this and how people you know get the information and um oh the review copies. So oh, yeah, huge yeah, tangent, yeah. but on review copies of like. I think that and early act early access. Yeah. If I was talking ideally, like I would say that they shouldn't send out free review copies. I think you should have they people should have to buy them at street date or they'd have to they should pay the price to have some more objectivity about it. Um like we're paying the price, we're funding for it, that way there's less of a contractual agreement to it. Especially since now everything can be digitally coded. Like, you know, you go in the store, you can buy the, the codes or something like that. Um, you don't even have to go to retail anymore for it. And that way there, there's the investment. And then you try out the actual retail day one version. Because we get those weird issues now. Like, other than service games, which I don't say is necessarily bad, or even like free-to-play service games, it's not terrible. Because those have to be judged differently if, if a game is going to be a service game. Um is that the day one patch can make a huge difference. Days Gone for PlayStation 4 was a travesty before its day one patch. And, like, you know, it was a promise. And that game isn't a bad game. I'd say it's a solid 7 to 8 out of 10, depending on some of your tastes. Like, you know, if you like zombies and open worlds, it's actually a really competent game. Um, It scored scored mid-70s, though. It got about what you said. But it could have been skewing higher towards 8s and 9s if that game, if the the performance wasn't as bad as it was when it first was in pre-review. And it gave a lot of people a bad taste in their mouth. Um, there's also the marketing... Well, unfortunately, this this is different. Sorry, I'll bring up that example in a minute. 
I want to talk about Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy and how that affected affected things. But that's yeah, the I think um in a in an ideal space you would get it day one and the reviews would come out like or they'd pay for it and get the game early. Cause also the problem is that they get their review copies way too late most of the times. They rarely get games like a month ahead where they could with the final retail code, including day one, the, well, I guess it wouldn't necessarily be day one patch, but you know, like a final or a launch patch that fixes or addresses issues they plan to have and ship with the game or, uh, you know, it does the fir first update on there because discs still have to get pressed and put out. And, there, and yeah, I mean, no this, the sad truth is that, I mean, all these reviews are just part of the marketing. Um, so if they think they're confident in the game, they're going to give out a bunch of review copies. And it, the the publications want reviews day one just as much as the publishers do. Yeah. Because, you know, the publishers want people to go and see like, okay, it's an 8 out of 10. I, I can buy this game now. Yeah. And there are, there are a lot of people who pre-order these days, which I think you and I both agree that that's usually not the right decision. No, pre-ordering is not a smart idea anymore. Um, even for like physical swag and stuff like that. Like I pre-ordered the Ninja Turtles Kawabunga collection and got that today. Uh, so that dates when we're recording here. This should be a quick turnaround, everybody. Um, and I like all the physical swag that came in there, and I was going to buy the game anyways. So that's great. And I ended up, I bought it. Uh, I got the special edition for PS5, and then I bought my the regular edition on Steam. So I did buy the game twice, but that was because of my personal choices. But the swag I bought and the collection I've got, that's great. Like, it's $40 normally. Uh, the special edition is $150. I'm not sure if there was a price difference between the PS4 and the PS5 version or any of the Xbox versions or Switch versions of the special edition. So I don't know if I'm paying like a $10, $20 premium. But either way, $150 for, that pr for what I got in there as a Ninja Turtles fan, personally to me, that was great. I, I love the art book that came with it, the cards and art cards. Like The nostalgia for me is great. Do I recommend it to anyone else who's not a Ninja Turtles fan? No! Do I think I'm... I'm would I have pre-ordered the game itself if, without the swag? No, I would have waited until uh, I could. I I would have waited till the midnight download or whatever, then bought it. You know, or maybe just a little bit before if there was a preload. You know, that's the only time I would even say pre-order is okay. Is like this is the preload period of the night I'm going to play it. Like, yeah, that makes sense. You're like I'm downloading it now, so by the time it's installed, that it's ready to go and I can play it because I took off the day or I'm gonna you know, I can play for like an hour or two before I go to bed and something like that. Like that makes perfect sense to me. But, you know, pre-ordering months ahead of time, especially like season pass contents, content and stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. And that's where I'd say companies shouldn't even be allowed to offer pre-orders until the game is like a week out, a week to two weeks, like in and of itself. I, I don't think they should even be off. I, I think that I think like three days, cause that's enough to download a game on, like, but it, but even yeah, because a lot of people want to preload the game, which I get if it's digital. Quick argument, I will two weeks because that's the typical biweekly pay scale, pay pay rate. So someone might ha need that two weeks to dedicate a check to it. A lot Fair of enough. A lot um, of people. We can, yeah. we can argue whether that's a good use of your money if you're waiting for your paycheck to buy a game, but 
Like, right, right. But, you know, it, it, everyone's situation is different, but I think but that's, that's fair. Yeah. So I'd say two weeks. Like, And then by then, there's tons of coverage. You're not like, or you, there, you should be able to look at a ton of coverage. Some companies can be really stingy about that, but also you shouldn't be able to pre-order something that doesn't have explicit content descriptors. Like, you can't be like, season pass, it'll have four content expansions and new costumes. I'm like, no, you have to tell me what those, I need trailers for what that content looks like. I need to see yeah. what these costumes look like in-game. I need screenshots. Like, no, you're not allowed to just say conceptually what you're making. And then, well, I don't know about you, money. but I am, I am never pre-ordering a game again. Not, not for a special edition, not for anything. I'm done with that. And mm. you'll, you'll probably laugh at me when I end up doing that again. But I, I, at least at this moment, I intend to stick to that because I've been burned too many times by a game that got hyped up. You know, by content creators, no yeah. less. There's people who are like, that's the other side of it. Like, people go, get into this hype cycle where everyone's excited and they'll be reacting to the latest trailer. And, you know, it's easy to get caught up. But I've been burned too many times with a game that I didn't end up liking. Um, and once I even had a game that I ended up liking and I got the special edition. So, like, I just, I, I want to, I want to wait at least a week or two for the dust to settle on a new game because even like initial even initial reviews can be um you know deceiving yeah deceiving or misleading or or maybe people just have a it's it's new shiny everyone was excited yeah. for it it's it's tinted by the by the hype mm -hmm. and you know only as people finish the game get through it and start to discuss some of the more details do you get real honest criticism that isn't sped up yeah like, that's the other problem with review because caught up in the hype is, yeah and people got to rush through these games as fast as they can like do you think every i guess we're kind of getting off topic here but do you think every uh reviewer who reviewed Elden ring actually finished the game i bet oh, only a small no. fraction of them did no yeah and and it's actually not it's not um, a lo large amount of content to get from the start to the end of Elden Ring if you crit path it. The difficulty, uh, the actual difficulty of the gameplay and understanding what is the crit path is the what creates like a huge time sink. Um, that game would probably be if it was like a standard difficulty game. The crit path in and of itself would probably take twenty to thirty hours at most. So that raises another question about, and this is kind of about reviewing, but content creation in general. Yeah. Do, do you think people should be obligated to state exactly what they've done in the game? Because I don't think reviews generally say, okay, um, I've played this many hours of the game. I haven't finished it. Like They obviously don't want to give spoilers as to how far they end, are, they are in a game. But I, I don't know if I usually see a, a professional or amateur content creator being completely upfront about how much time they spent with a game and what what they're basing their opinion on. I mean, you, I guess you assume they finish it, but I don't know. People don't say they finish it. It's just kind of an assumption, but I don't know if we can safely assume that. I think it depends, but I do agree that when it comes to, there should be honesty, especially if you're providing criticism in the game. Now, this stuff can happen. Um, we were talking about Oh, I don't want to bring up his name. So if you remember who it is, don't talk about his, don't say his name. But the YouTuber who was 
super criticizing something and just kept doubling down at this, this is a bad game. And I forget what game he was talking about. Was it Elden Ring? No. I... It, well, there was one YouTuber who was like way doubling down on Elden Ring, and everyone. This is was an objectively respond- bad game. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, it? Was he talking about Elden Ring, or was it a different game? Yeah, and this was going on for like months. This whole saga. Well, yes. Like, okay. This, yes. Yeah. So yes. you think we're talking so, about the same thing? I I thought about him earlier, and I also did not want to mention his name. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that whole Elden Ring criticism debacle. Like, now if he was being honest. I think it's fair that he was criticized for his opinion and for his breakdown. Is he entitled to his opinion? I mean, unfortunately, people aren't uh, 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 are entitled to their opinion, even if their opinion is based on incorrect or in a misunderstood information. Which but is, you're not you're not entitled to dump on players of a game for liking a game that you dislike. Um, I, I yeah, I guess they should yeah. I, I guess I would agree with that is that, I mean, I, I was, I, in essence, I agree with you, but I'm trying, I'm struggling because like, I take issue with the idea of, a, of opinions to some degree, or at least I've examining that personally, because, you know, people should be allowed to say things, but it's like intolerance is, we can't tolerate intolerance. <laughs> um, what? I don't, I don't. I, I guess you're, you can say whatever his, you want, but his, I don't think it's valid to criticize person a person or a group of people for liking a game and making, you know, statements about the, they're this or they're that, like you are correct. That's not okay. Yes. They should, they shouldn't, they should levy their criticism strictly at the game and the product, not at, uh, people who choose to engage it. Cause people just like with horror movies, people can like something because it's deliberately bad or is explicitly bad. Um, that, that completely makes sense. And I agree with you on that point. So yeah, um, that that's another thing though is like the open discussions about games and difficulty, and I, I the discussion about Elden Ring and its difficulty and FromSoft games and what are players entitled to and what are they not. Also, player entitlement is it a problem? Is it not? You know, what where's the where does the line that we should draw on that whole thing? It, it's also great to see these things come out of the content creation culture. Um, one of the other problems there, other problems like coverage of games and the paid thing. I think, uh, yeah, we, we need to protect independent content creators more. Co- these corporations try to silence them more. And I think it's like the answer is obvious. If they're trying to silence these people, or when, when co- big corporations are trying to silence people, it's usually because the corporation's in the wrong and they don't want their secrets getting out. It's rarely because of something. Misinformation. Yeah. Um, an example of where a company kind of is made the wrong move and it ended up working out for them or Capcom with street fighter six, when the roster leaked, like we talked a little bit about it before. I think that like the roster leaking ended up being a good thing. Like it sure it changes the marketing cycle, but it's a perfectly indicative of look, just, just let us see who all the characters are up front. Okay. That was just artwork. Now, the hype cycle changes. Everyone is super excited because they're like, "Oh my god, these old characters look super cool. My characters in there. I'm going to I'm now I'm even more excited. And now these new characters look super dope and I want to see what they look like or now I get to wait and see. It's like now I'm excited to see how they look in motion, how they look in game. And sure, someone could end up seeing the full 3D model and going, 
oh, they don't look that good in the 3D model. They they look better in the art. But then you can also have the opposite effect where someone can go like, oh my god, my character looks so cool in 3D. That design looks so great. Oh, their new attacks look cool, or the way they're remixing the old attacks looks great. And there's so much, you know, the the there's a chance for both to happen. And it just changes the way that people get excited. Not that people aren't going to be excited. Sure, some people will, are you know weird about spoilers in different ways, and some people are, are probably super upset that they even find out what fighting game characters are in there until the game comes out or whatever, something weird. Some people don't even want to know what gameplay's like for certain games, which I think that's kind of weird. Or certain things, like people don't even want to know some gameplay mechanics and whatnot. And I get, like, if a gameplay mechanic is tied to a plot aspect, but I feel like anything you learn in the first 10 minutes of the game is something you should be open to knowing. But, once again, people are entitled to their to the way they want to do things. Um, I can, and that is my opinion, that some people are a little too sensitive about stuff. But everyone's allowed to draw their own personal lines. That is true. So Really? There's people on the internet that are too sensitive? Right. <laughs> Who's the real snowflake? Um. Anyways, so yeah, I think coverage is great. And uh, oh, um, do you have any feelings about? Because uh, we're getting to the end of the episode here. Do you have any feelings about like let's plays and stuff like that? Do you think that's good? Like, um, we've talked about like strategy guides and stuff like that. But do you feel like the existence of let's plays and people going through or commenting, not, whether for entertainment or for utility in terms of like strategy guides? Do you, do you like that stuff? Have, have you found it beneficial? Uh, for strategy guides, I usually prefer something written. Um, uh, certain things are, are okay video, but I always feel like they're trying to stretch out the video and make it long. And like, true, it's true. In, for me, it's inefficient. That's um, a YouTube except, issue rather than yeah. the, the actual creator yeah. culture. Um, but even blog posts are like that. They'll write a whole story about why you want to know this detail yeah. in the game and the last sentence is the answer. But as for let's plays for entertainment it's it's not for me i certainly don't care to watch someone else play a game um mm -hmm. i might watch it on a live stream but like if it there's like one one content creator where i'll watch him play games sometime but that's a small focus of his content and sometimes when he does that i'll even like turn him off and it's it's funny he always talks about how when he games he loses viewers so clearly that's not his main draw <laughs> <That's funny>. but <laughs> but um it's it's big business i i guess people like it and I, I i can see how it'd be cool to to watch someone who plays at a very high level than you do like that's yeah but I don't like to watch other people play video games. It's just not uh, um, But uh, have you have you thought of using it? Do you ever use it as a tool to like get coverage on a game you're curious about, but not sure if you're going to pull the trigger? Uh, I usually prefer a video review where they've kind of edited. I, I edited um, you know, some of the gameplay as they're talking about it. Um, so no, I don't usually watch a let's play. Do you so that's, what? What's me? Do you have, uh, can you articulate kind of what the reason is why you prefer the like edited over overview style rather than like seeing some raw, uh, like real time gameplay? Uh, I, I guess it's just because I don't want to sit through like 30 minutes of gameplay. And I feel like if you're just looking at a slice of gameplay from, you know, beginning to end, 
you're not going to get as much as you could where people make selections of certain parts of the game. Um, Do you think, and I guess it depends. Do you think you'd need 30 minutes? What if it was 10? Five I did watch, I did watch most of the, the Forspoken gameplay that they put out. Now that wasn't, that wasn't a user generated thing, but yeah. it certainly was beginning to end. They were playing through a section of the game. So it I was can, extended I edited. Yeah, it was like it, 10 minutes. Yeah, I guess there was editing. So, yeah, I guess I guess I, uh, sometimes I feel like the raw gameplay is a little too unfocused, and I, I don't. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I don't need to watch uh, 30 minutes or more. But I feel like for the kind of games I like, particularly JRPGs, that's a lot of what I play. It's, it's hard. You know, if I'm watching one battle of the new Persona game, that's not going to tell me much. I'm going to have to, like, watch a good significant portion to get an idea of what what it offers it's different than previous titles and i'm gonna just leave you with this as a thought experiment so we can keep moving on the conversation but I'd, I'd say ed i would challenge you to with a game that's coming up next time give yourself that time and just dedicate it just once go outside your comfort zone and actually sit and watch uh i'll only ask for a maximum 10 minutes if you decide to go more go right ahead and you can even like wait because i i usually watch uh, video on demand for uh, for Twitch streamers because I'm rarely watching for a long period of time and then I'll use it as like a podcast in the background for when I'm, I'm at work and just listen to the gameplay or check out like a very specific portion. Um, like I remember Resident Evil 7 I was super psyched for and I uh, the game was coming out the next day. I didn't have time to play it yet, but the streamers all got it like a couple hours early with digital codes. Um, so I watched just them play like the first like 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, I think it was more like 30 minutes and uh, that's a game where like all oh, 30 minutes is actually a lot, but it was enough for me to just get a tease and a taste. And then I'm like, I'm so excited to play this on my own. So I got that my game installed, it was ready. And then I went and I played it and I was like, I was still super hyped. I was more jazzed because of it. So I would say for you, I almost, I'm all, I almost would rather have stuff out of context because I want to be the one myself to experience the beginning of a story-oriented game. I want to get all the exposition. I don't want to have to watch someone else do it, and then I go and play it again. So, sure, I'll, sure. I'll, 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 I'll think of a game type that would be amenable to, you know, agreeable to that idea, but it's not JRPGs, because I want to be the one diving in. I, I don't know. So, because I was going to say, I think there, well, for me, I consider there a distinct difference between seeing it and playing it. Um, now that's not to say that you can't sometimes see something if you're really familiar with like the gameplay type and whatnot and be able to understand from watching something, whether or not you'd feel it. Like, I feel I can watch a Resident Evil gameplay video and really get what's going on there without playing it. But then when I play it, it's, it's better because then I'm making the choices, but I can understand the systems and I can get, I can say 80% of my experience from watching it, but the 20% where that is from the actual interaction and making my own choices, it can be very critical. Um, but I would even say, like, think about it this way, because you were saying, like, or uh, let me appeal to you from a slightly different angle. Is the free 30 minutes that you could have just watched the game and figured out whether or not you like something worth not liking something for $60 that you had to do for $60? Well, ideally, I would like to play a demo, and I'm still kind of on the edge of whether or not I'm going to get um, Gamefly. So, like, 
We'll have to think about that in the future. But yeah. you've given. Well, you have Game Pass right now, so I mean, like, if yeah, I do have Game Pass. I have tried some games and, on uh, there. And you currently are upgraded, uh, PlayStation Plus user. Yeah. Or PSN For member. Another, another six months or so. Yeah. Yeah. So you you have access to additional things. So you don't necessarily need GameFly unless there's specific types of games that are not there. It really just adds on. No one thing has an entire library of every single game that you can try. Only pirates have access to that, uh, and even huh? lucky, lucky, lucky and, guys. Yeah, and even them, uh, some stuff is is more difficult than others. But uh, yeah, so that that's where I'd say like it comes as it. There's all these different aspects of content creation that are fantastic and wonderful, and and we've reached the end of the episode here, and I feel like we could still like a bunch of these are mini topics and things we've talked about before, and it, we we got on some tangents because it it really all does play into it. So. Um, Ed, uh, as we wrap up this episode, was there anything else about content creation you wanted to say today? Um, Influence. I think I'm just going to express what I said at the beginning episode, as I think it's really great that there's all these ways for an individual or a couple individuals to just get a mic, camera, and some editing software. And like, there's a very low barrier. And I think that's a great thing. I agree. Uh, content creation, fan, fan, content, fan content creation, influencer culture has been a net positive for the industry. There are a lot of growing pains and we're still going through it because the problem is we're battling greedy corporations for uh, as we've wrestled away control of the medium and we are battling, you know, unethical management of these companies. Uh, and a lot of good people are getting in there and certainly people are getting caught in the economics of it. And it is, it is difficult. It's also part of the entertainment industry, which has got deep rooted issues as well. And our society has a lot of culture, uh, cultural and social issues that need to be worked out. But I think this has been helping and it's been doing a lot of good for indie creation, fighting against bad policies, creating positive things like the accessibility wave, like better quality of life features in games, such as, the accessibility and you know rollback net code better features for games um you know forces for change in terms of like uh um different groups and representation sorry i should have mentioned that sooner but yeah you know representation understanding getting away from stereotypes and misrepresentations of you know different demographics bringing more um what's the word uh more representation into ga- gaming design and gaming culture and things like that so I, uh, that's something I, we should have mentioned more about, which is great, but I think it's hard for us to really say, say much uh, about it other than you know we just want to push for more diversity in game creation, in game representation, uh, see more indie, find more ways for indies to get more funding for more people to unite. And I think that all of that is growing and getting better. And uh, it's still new. This is still a very fresh and young industry. And I think we will see a lot of people grow into power that will continue to bring healthy change and also unite all of all of the, you know, the positive people in culture to become a force that can push back against the few who have just concentrated power and aren't necessarily um, making the best choices or, you know, can be standing in the way of progress. So, yeah, I, see, that, that's that's the real video game is life. You don't get another life. We don't know that we don't. We're not 100% sure on that. Um, but yes, for the most part, we have to act on that information as is. Um, once again, Ed, 
thank you so much. I think we had another wonderful conversation today. This is a, such an excellent topic. Thank you for joining me. Bye. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. And I wanted to say thank you to all our listeners as well. Uh, so I hope everyone is well. Be well until the next episode. Um, we hope everything's going great. Take care of yourselves. And thank you for listening uh, and sharing if you did. Now, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs>